On today's Tactical Faith Podcast, me and Dave Jones get the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Michael Heiser, who is the author of The Unseen Realm, as well as the podcast Naked Bible Podcast, and he has a new book out called Demons. Uh, we talk about his the philosophy behind his work, uh, The Unseen Realm, and also some of the other things that he is dealing with in the area of uh, rediscovering the supernatural worldview of the Bible. Again, we thank you for coming and being a part of Tactical Faith. If you'd like to be involved, please go to tacticalfaith.com. If you'd like to send an email, send it at info at tacticalfaith.com. This, 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 Let's be honest. Talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world. But now, the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. A little bit about our ministry and then we'll move forward. We're, we're basically a volunteer-only ministry. Been around for about eight years. Um, we're very low overhead. Uh, we're mere non-denominational uh, we started out as specifically apologetics. Uh, we were a bunch of apologetic nerds that got together and wanted to see more apologetic training in our state. Uh, we've since kind of moved a little bit different towards just uh, theology uh, as a whole and looking at different 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 concepts. We're mere, um, but we're mm-hmm. uh, we're just growing in this ministry, trying to figure out <clears throat> what are some things that we can we can get the church in our state to listen to. Uh, and think about and reflect upon. And Dr. Tremper Longman and the Bible Project guys, uh, Tim Mackey, uh, uh-huh. kind of turned turned me on to your work. And Dr. Longman does some work for us at, uh, at Tactical Faith. He writes, and it's uh-huh. you know, we've had Gary Haver. A lot of the people that you you work with, we've had, and uh, we're kind of across the board. We we'd like to get to a point where we're not afraid of things uh, to promote, but we also. You know, I, I'm very sensitive about the denominational loyalties of our state. I work for the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions, and I also work for Sanford University, um, you know, helping pastors thrive at now. That's kind of a job that I do. But uh, really intrigued by your book and intrigued by your work and, and actually very impressed. I don't know how far that goes, but uh, me and Dave both have devoted ourselves the last couple of weeks to reading Unseen Realm, I've given out the smaller version to people that I know to have a conversation as well with me, and and I, I'm looking forward to the conversation that we have today, because I, I just think some of the things that you're bringing to the table are needed. Well, you know, it's I'm, I'm actually glad to hear that you're sensitive, I mean, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, there, a lot of the content of Unseen Realm is, you know, I, I know is going to rattle people's cages because I had my cage rattled, you know, so surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good, you know, it, it's good to, to approach things the way you're approaching it, as opposed to just sort of being the bull in the China closet. Cause then, you know, people just tune you out, you know, it, it gives them a reason to tune you out. So what is your denominational history? If you don't mind me asking I, my, my first context as a believer I, you know, I, I have no spiritual upbringing at all, um, but I came to the Lord when I was a teenager, really through the, the influence of a friend and his mom, a single mom, four kids, two of them had cystic fibrosis. I mean, I they just struggled mightily, but that was my first 
introduction, you know, to the gospel. And they went to a fundamental Baptist church. So eventually that's where I, you know, wound up going. That was my original context. And I, I still think that in many ways I'm, I'm living off the capital of that experience. I mean, we, it was a church I mean, it wasn't King James only or anything like that. It was, it was strongly dispensational, very separatistic, but they, they really treated scripture seriously. So I got spoiled. (laughs) I mean, it was, would you say, it was, would you say that you're, uh, would you say that your work in unseen realm sort of reinforced a dispensational view of things? No, I, I I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want this to come across as coarse, but I just don't care anymore. Oh, that's great to hear. That's actually great to hear. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've taught, you know, I, I wound up, you know, going to Bible college. I mean, I could fill two hours with stupid stuff I've done because I had no direction, you know, I had no mentors or anything like that, but I I did have a good, you know, a good um, Bible content background, you know, from church again, just, they, they really tried to teach people. Um, But, you know, I, I wound up, you know, teaching at a Bible college, you know, so I've taught covenant theology, I've taught dispensationalism, I've I've taught all this stuff, you know, and, and at, at, at some point it just dawns on you that, you know, people land where they land because of decisions they make prior to ever doing exegesis. You know, they, like they, whether they consciously realize it or not, when they hit a given passage, they're going to read it a certain way just because of their answers to certain presuppositional kinds of questions that they have just floating around in their heads now. You know, are Israel and the church the same? Are they different? What way are they different? You know, so, you know, there's like 10 or 12 of these when it comes to, to prophetic systems, you know. And, and so when you realize that, it's like, well, you know, I, what, why should I why should I pick one and shoot at the other ones? You know, because it's, it's all really presupposition driven. And now I'm at the point because of Unseen Realm and just thinking about you know, powers of darkness stuff. I, I really believe that, that, I mean, I take Paul seriously in first Corinthians too, where he, you know, had the rulers of this world known, you know, what the outcome was going to be of the crucifixion. They never would have gone through with it. Huh. You know, and, and I, I understand, you know, how the disciples, when they're standing in front of the risen Christ still can't figure it out. Like, like, you know, it's, it, the text actually says in Luke 24, he had to open their minds to understand the scriptures and he's standing right in front of them. I mean, it's not because they're thick headed. It's because the, the, the prophetic stuff about the Messiah, the first time around was intentionally fragmented and made ambiguous and obscure. You could only understand it in hindsight. And so I I believe that was intentional. It was very intentional on God's part. And, And so my view of eschatology now is that's the way it's going to be the second time around. That, that's why we have an ambiguity. You know, it, it's it, it's not telegraphed because God has enemies. So he's a, he has no reason to put all his cards on the table. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and I'm content with that. You know, so it, it really doesn't matter to me anymore. I, I see these kinds of things. You know, they get, they get conflated with the gospel. Well, we don't really know if you're a real Christian if you don't believe in a rapture. You know, like, right. Right. you know, it, but but people, again, because they're taught to take scripture seriously and then they're taught a, a specific view of something, they equate the seriousness 
of the view with the seriousness of scripture. And so if you don't hold their view, how can you be serious about any of this stuff? Yeah, it seems like a lot of your, um, you know, the beginning of, of Unseen Realm was focusing on some of that, like, you know, hey, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to challenge some stuff that you believe, but, um, you know, what, what I'm is, friends, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not here to destroy you, you know, it, it you know, I, I just wanted people to know that, <clears throat> you know, my, you're not going to read this book and you, you're not going to come out and think or say, or be able to accuse me of, of saying, you know, hey, I thought the gospel was A and Mike says it's B now. No, it just, you know, yeah. come on. You know, you, the, the, the core doctrines of scripture are, are very clear. You know, it, it's just, in a lot of cases, we don't know what to do with the rest of the Bible, which is like 90% of it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we have, we have people in church you know, who have a lot of data points in their head, but they have no framework for it. And, and unfortunately, we've had, we've raised, let me put it this way, we, we've sort of cultivated a culture with, within the believing church of being selectively supernatural. You know, and part of the reason that's done is because the, the charismatics creep us out. You know, that, that, you know, one side would say, I don't want to be a charismatic, so I'm not going to, you know, go down this road. Mm-hmm. And you know, on one level, I understand that because there's so much abuse there. But, but do you realize what you're doing when you, you know, sort of shut that valve off, you know, or, or, or when you, you, you train people to not see supernaturally? You're, you're essentially creating believing skeptics you know, Christian deists. Okay. This is, this is really what we've got, you know, that, you know, our churches are filled with people like this. And and my, what alarms me, and, and you guys will appreciate this because you're in apologetics, but all it takes is, a, is a, an atheist with a YouTube channel who's actually paying attention to this discussion because sooner or later there's going to come, you know, I, I think, this is already brewing within evangelicalism. And I think Unseen Realm is part of the reason why it's brewing. That is, we're going to have a confrontation within evangelicalism over, do we really want to take the Bible's worldview about the spiritual world? You know, forget the science discussion, okay? We're talking about the spiritual world, not the natural world stuff. But do we want to take what the Bible says seriously about the spiritual world or not? Do we want to assign reality to that? And to me, that's a question of biblical authority. And so the, the atheist who's paying attention will, will hear conversations come down the road where people are going to say, well, you need to believe the stuff in, in bucket A, you know, Trinity, God, deity of Christ, you know, it's the, just what sin is, salvation, the incarnation. You, know, you, need, you need to believe these things, virgin birth. You know, this is this is true and it's supernatural and you atheists are you know, a bunch of fools, you know, because you've shut off the supernatural. You need to believe this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, over here in bucket B, where we have other supernatural stuff that aren't con- that, that isn't connected or so we think to these core doctrines. Well, it's OK to not believe those. Right. You know, this Genesis six stuff is crazy. You know, Peter must can't. When Peter talked about angels that sinned, he must have meant something else, you know. So well, let's find what that something else is. And if we can't, we'll just invent the something else. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole Babel thing, you know, the, you know we, we've taught generations of people to not see supernatural things that are, we, we've taught them a, a, a contrary method to what the biblical writers had in their head. And we think that's okay. 
we, we think that that sort of the stuff in bucket A is more respectable. Mm-hmm. It's more reasonable than the stuff in bucket B. And all it's going to take is the atheist with the YouTube channel to start waving the flag that says, hey, you know, the stuff in both buckets comes from the same source. Yeah. So like, yeah. why can I listen to you people? Yeah, I heard somebody say one time that, same, you don't even believe the, the the stuff in the source. Some somebody was saying one time that um, I, I forgot who it was. It's been a few years ago that if you come anytime you come to a debate or or any sort of uh, you know I, confrontation of ideas and you don't respect your opponent, um, if you think that you know that your opponent's ideas are crazy, how could anybody believe this? If you don't at least respect their their ideas enough to consider them that you will you may not be today but you will get you will have a rude awakening at some point yeah. because you know you can't just say we can't just say okay well the atheist is is nuts that kind of thing because we will we will be confronted at some point with somebody that is going to rock our world so to speak and it may be well when I when I was reading through your book I was thinking how much more uh, confident I am in sort of the whole the scripture as a whole based yeah. on list on on like I, I read the audio or I listened to the audiobook version because um, I have a lot of commuting and um, you know I kept thinking uh, I know I'm not picking all of this up like I would if I'd have read read the text but I I was just getting more and more confident in seeing the Bible as a whole unit. Yeah, I'm um, glad to hear you say that because, you know, unseen realm, you know, is like I say in the intro, it's not a theory of everything. You know, that's that's two or three books away. You know, <laughs> it's kind of sarcastic there, but there's a lot more that could be added to it to to make it sort of look like that. But unseen realm is is the beginning point. It's the framework. You know, and and what I'm really angling for here is I want the Israelite, you know, living in your head when you read the Old Testament, I want the first century Jew living in your head when you read the New. And and that is, that's a fundamentally different way to think about what Scripture is. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think we, we do because the way we teach inspiration, we actually make it vulnerable to criticism. Um, you know, we don't want to use words like dictation theory, but then we'll talk about the process of how we got scripture and it'll sort of sound that, like that anyway. You know, I mean, how, ma- how many you guys have probably gotten emails like this? You know, how many times do you get an email where like somebody's faith is rocked because, well, I saw the History Channel show and they said that there's like a law about the Sabbath from Mesopotamia. That's older than the Bible. So now, the, you know, I'm just going to dump the Bible and I'm losing my feeling. Yeah, you see that you know, a lot I mean, with the, you know, with the whole like Egyptian uh, gods and goddesses. and the, Why is it such a shock that biblical writers read books? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is that a shock? You know, of course they were literate. Of course they read things. Of course they're, they're, they have their ear to the ground of what people around them believe and, and what they're being influenced by. Of course they would. This is what intelligent people do. And when they write, you know, God has put them in these situations to, to hear those conversations and to read those books. And, and, you know, God has his own agenda about how to respond to this other set of ideas that are, you know, floating around in people's heads. Of course, they're going to dip into this stuff. 
Of course, they have common cultural experiences. They're alive, aren't they? You know, it, 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 you know of, of course, there are laws about crimes and punishments in other cultures that look like the Bibles because people behave the same ways. You know, it, it, I mean, there are just some really, really obvious things. But, we're, you know, the way we're taught about Scripture is that, well, it's in the Bible. It can't be found anywhere else because the Bible's the Word of God. Well, like, just think about what you... You're affirming there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, each, you know, Both of Egypt, these things uh, Egypt wasn't that far time. away from Israel, you know. Right. So. You know, it, it, just because the two things can be simultaneously true at the same time, you know, and they're not contradictory. They're just, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of just something that arises from being alive and being a thinking human and living in this place and with common experiences and, you know, I, I really again, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I I really think that one of the crying needs of of the church is to just think better about scripture, yeah. like just you know just spend a little time thinking about the enterprise of it, and I, I think it would help if we if we had let, let me put it this way, again this will be familiar to you guys because you you know your your apologetics bent. But, you know, you get these questions about the canon, okay? And, and the default view, and, it, and it's, a, it's a reasonable view, I think a good view, is that, look, you know, if we believe there's a whole, the whole kind of, you know, community of faith, people to come to the realization they're going to recognize what, you know, is sacred and what isn't, that's going to work itself out because God is engaged providentially in this process, you know, he's not just leaving it up to human councils and taking, you know, the next millennium off. You know, I'll come back when you guys figure this out, you know, or, or when you decide something. Right. No, I mean, God's providentially engaged in, in, in how people are being led to think about these things. Well, what if we approached inspiration the way we do canonicity? You know, that, that, that God is just in the process the whole time. You know, he, he molds the life of every writer, preparing them for the moment when they would write X, Y, Z down. He would put them in the right you know, place, the right occasion, every experience they've had, all the things they've learned, you know, the, just their life experience. It, it all matters to make them who they are for that moment in time when the Spirit's going to prompt them to, to sit down on their butt and write something down. You know, it, it's a very human thing, but that doesn't divorce God from it in any way, any more than you could tell me the story of how you got your job. Right. Okay. I, I can listen to that, and you believe God was in the process somewhere, even if you can't see a direct, you know, thunderbolt from heaven. You know, you made that decision because somebody else made a decision, and they made that decision because somebody else made a prior decision. I mean, all these things, you know, intersect, and you know, we either believe that God is is actively interested in our lives, or we don't. If you do, then a providential view of this ought to make sense. You know, it, rather than just having, you know, we, we've turned the Bible in, into a, a channeled book, like the Arantia book. You know, I mean, this so, is what New Agers do. You know, it just, yeah, <laughs> this is not what we should be doing. You know? Well, let me ask you about that, like, because you, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, and also uh, in the book, you talked a lot about the how so much of, uh, of the Messiah was hidden, purposefully hidden, uh, in 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 scripture, I think you 
I'm trying to remember the way you worded it, but you basically said, you know, there is no uh, way that a, uh, the, a New Testament uh, actor could refer. Hindsight. Yeah, you can't point to. Hindsight. Yeah, you can't point back to the Old Testament. So here, here's where it specifically says there's going to be a dying Messiah because there's just not. It, it's a, it's a more of a whole. Do you, do you think that in light of that, and what you said earlier, I mean, how much. You know, this is an unanswerable question, but how much of of God's plan is still purposefully hidden from us now? Not, and I'm not even talking. I'm not really to be more specific. I'm not talking about like hidden as far as the future goes, but how much of God's, how much of the the Scripture has been purposefully hidden? The the true meanings of it has been purposely hidden. So, like, how much has the past been hidden from us and its understanding? Yeah, I, I think there there is something to that. I mean, you know, I think God is somewhat pragmatic. You know, I think, well, let me put it this way. I think, you know, God's pragmatism works itself out, again, in in, in providence, in, in terms of what the writers, you know, felt led to communicate. You know, there there's nothing in, in Scripture that, that we could say is addressed exhaustively, you know, for us. But that, and that certainly doesn't mean there's not a lot to think about or a lot that happened, a lot of other conversations that went on that we just don't have. So I, I tend to think in, in part that there's, quote unquote, missing stuff that would be really cool and interesting that, you know, there was just no point to putting in the book, you know, <laughs> putting in this right. letter or something like that. So I tend to think with all the doctrines, there are things that could have been said and could have been written um, that would, you know, give us more, you know, more precision and more clarity on this or that point. But I tend to look at it uh, this way that, you know, I think God is intelligent enough to know when we have sufficient information for the things that he, he most wants us to know. Um, so if we don't have clarity in Scripture, that would tell me that God isn't as interested in us knowing that as he is about something that we have more, you know, information on. I really don't think that that it's crucial to the faith to know about the origin of the soul. Hmm. Okay. You know, if God wanted us to really know that, he would have, you know, he would have clarified it somewhere. You know, we wouldn't still be talking about traditionism and creationism and pre-existence and all this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, we'd, we'd have we'd have somewhere you know in scripture to go to sort of nail that one down or at least nail it down better. Right. So that that just tells me that well, it's it's probably true that the identity and deity of Christ was something that God wanted us to have a fuller grasp of than this question. And to me, that actually guides it ought to guide our thinking into. What are the things that we should deem so essential that we hold them up as essential and then we unite around those things? And the other things, you know, we, we, we study, we struggle with, we have conversations about. There are differences of opinion. Um, and that's okay. You know, maybe the things that God really wants us to unite around, you know, whatever the faith is, you know, John 17, that they might be one. Well, it, it's much easier to be one if you have a really short list of things that have a high degree of clarity and precision as opposed to, you know, is this a vision of Jesus of uniting the covenant theologians and the dispensationalists? Well, probably not. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
You know, yeah, I guess they would like if it's don't I, screw up who I am and what I did, well probably <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. It's I, I guess say that when I was like twenty two, my list of uh theological hills to die on was we you know, I had about forty of those. Yeah, yeah. I think now I have like one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm it's the like, same way. You know, it, you to me it it's also it it's to me it's an honesty question. You know, it Am I going to be content with Scripture providing greater clarity and precision on this topic and not another topic? Or am I going to feel compelled to have too active an imagination to fill in those gaps and then pretend I'm doing Bible teaching? Mm. Okay. To me, that, that, that there's just a line there that, that I'm not comfortable crossing. And, I, and I'm going to leave it to, to the providence of God. If God wanted to, us to to all think the same way about something, he was perfectly capable of giving us more information to to have us do precisely that. But he didn't. So again, that, that tells me God is less interested in our unanimity there as opposed to our unanimity somewhere else. You know, yeah. I think, I, think, I think God's in control of that. Yeah. yeah a, a little bit a bit about my history. So I, I taught at a classical school not too long ago, and I had a set of seniors that I spent a lot of time with. And of course, they tagged me to teach apologetics. And when I was teaching them, so in other words, their parents wanted me to prepare them for the next year, you know, right. and, and, and I, that, you know, so what did it look like when I taught? Well, the best teaching I've ever been under is under is with dialogue, but it's not just dialogue. It's like with relationship. So me and this group, I did kind of a little anecdotal kind of research for the year. We dug deep, right? But we did it in a way that it wasn't data points. It became almost in a weird, and I still kept my limits and boundaries. Are you going to mention Dead Poet Society here? No, I'm not going to do that. Well, it it's really is closer to that. But the reality was they were prepped, right? They had done all their study. This was a classical school, but now they're seniors, right? And this is how classical school is supposed to work. But when I, I finally realized, oh, my goodness, like a light went off on my teaching modes, right? In other words, when real teaching, when real teaching happens, it happens almost, it almost feels like fellowship. Like it almost feels like it feels a little bit different than lecture. And that for me was a light that went off when I said, well, why is it my church like that? Because my church is really taught almost like an ivory tower classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and what and what I saw in your book and what really God put me in my head was Eden was not or the garden was not a place where God unfolded everything that they needed to know. It was good enough for them to walk with him. And he chose when to release that information through mm-hmm. his own relationship with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah and, that makes sense. And, and for me, there's something about your work that reinforces what's been going through in terms of my life in my own growth, which is realizing, uh, for those who are listening to this, realizing that there, there is a big cosmos that he created and there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and, you know, being in apologetics, I have made the the mistake of making everything intellectual, at least, Mm -hmm. at least in the past. Now I'm realizing that there's, there's tons of things that are going on that are beyond my control. And that church is the place, like real church, real fellowship with believers, like with Dave and others, when we're together, there's something, something strange and unusual about liturgy, like true liturgy where you learn. 
And I, this might be way off topic, but that's that's part of why I enjoy Trimper Longman's work, why I enjoy this work. Uh, and I, I'm asking people to go out and buy the book, either The Unseen Realm or you have another book that's easy for lay people to read. Um, because I, for me, I think it's almost getting to a point where this I'm Southern Baptist and I'm an Alabama Baptist, but it's getting to a point where I'm I'm moving past what you called these filters that mm. really hung tight. And it's really almost very lecture oriented, very data point oriented to letting that go and allowing the wisdom of God to unfold himself in relationship. And that is not disregarding the life of the mind. That is just putting it in its proper place. Yeah, um, I, I've become, you know, Dave said you know, his, his list of hills to die on is real small. Um, you know, mine has grown a lot smaller, too. And, and you know, in Unseen Realm, you know, I mean, I have to be honest, right? I, don't, I wasn't thinking any of these thoughts, you know, while when, when Unseen Realm was born, because it, this was a 15-year putter project that was born out of a sort of a, a rebuke in my head. Um, you know, one, once I, once I was down the road a little bit past Psalm 82, that, that again, at no point did I, did I feel, and at no point do I feel still that, you know, I'm, I'm just blessed to be so smart to figure this stuff out. I feel like an idiot most of the time mm. that I have to be led to things. Mm. And, and I, I mean, I, I've never had, you know, paranormal experience or anything like that, but I mean, I've had a few episodes where that is the only word that fits, you know, when, when I was stuck with something, but one, once I got, you know, once the Lord got, got me past the Psalm 82 thing, and I discovered, you know, Deuteronomy 32 and the whole Deuteronomy 32 worldview that I spend a lot of time talking about. And I'm I can remember sitting in Memorial Library at Wisconsin, just conscious, you know, I had this, again, this epiphany, this little flash, like, here I am. I'm a doctoral student. <clears throat> I, I mean, I have two master's degrees already. I'm in a Ph.D. program I and mean, I've taught 20 different courses I've taught for five years. And I am like rediscovering the Bible. Mm. And, and the thought struck me that, you know, 98 percent of the people in church will never see this stuff. They, they will never have this experience. And it just felt wrong. <laughs> yeah. And and so that that was the moment where where I thought, you know, I I think I could take all this highfalutin scholarship and make it decipherable to people who care and like do that and put that in a book. But I had no thought that, okay, now procedurally, I'm going to just stick to the meta narrative of scripture and I'm not going to worry about denominations and theological. So, I mean, none of that was in my head. It's like, can, can I make this stuff that I'm discovering comprehensible? Right. And, and you see how it extends from Genesis to Revelation. So, okay, well, let's start in Genesis. Like, what do we do now? And it took 15 years of just massaging that. And, and initially, I don't know if you guys know the story, but I took the first draft of what would what would be the grist for for unseen realm. I, I didn't even call it that. that wasn't the title at the beginning, but I took this and I put it on the internet, 
because I figured no one would publish it. Oh wow, I didn't know that. I figure I figure no, like like there's no way InterVarsity is going to do this. Or I mean, I I don't know that they would have, but I I I strongly doubt it because you know it's it was so different, you know, and and it and it, and it has the feel in certain places of being very uh, provocative, even though, you know, I'm, I'm up front trying to tell the reader, look, you know, it, it, it's like, I don't have this in the book, but, but the analogy I, I use is, you know, if I need to go, need to, if I know that you need to go from point A to point B and I've got a car and I say, come on, get in, you know, I'll, I'll take you over there. You know, you, you, I'm your friend. I'll take you over there. And we start going and you start looking out the window and nothing looks right. Like, you know how to get from point A to point B, and this is not the route. Okay, I, I, I would tell people, look, this is what the book's going to feel like. I will. Point B. Your, your theology is going to be intact. But the getting there be so different that it's going to freak you out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this is just the experience, because this is the experience I had. I, I had to navigate all this, essentially, I mean, humanly speaking, by myself. But like I said, I there's just, a, you know, they're just providential touches to, to the whole story of how Unseen Realm, you know, came to be. So I, I can't say I was alone, even though, like, humanly speaking, I was alone. Yeah. But I was just, just things happen so that I didn't screw it up. that's that's like my story you know just we'll we'll inject our you know god i'll inject myself just long enough so you don't mess it up it it reminded Um, you know like you're this this reading this book i had a sim gave me a similar experience to uh and you know you may hate or love this comparison i don't know but give me a similar experience to reading uh uh, nt wright's you know, work on, uh, you know, the new perspective on Paul work. And, and I've, and so, and I, I heard him say, you know, one time that, you know, he was sort of shocked by, like he, he thought that some of his, some of that work was going to be criticized on, on, on points A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And then he was shocked to find that people were, were upset about, you know, some other point that he didn't even really think was yeah. that big of a deal. Do, have you, like the critic, any criticism or uh, shock about certain things in Unseen Realm that kind of took you by surprise? I, um, let me see, is, is there anything like that to date? I mean, the, the book's been surprisingly well received from all quarters. Um, I, I thought, I mean, I have, I have letters and emails from people in all sorts of denominations, whether they're minister, you know, people in ministry or just lay people. I mean, it's just, just across the board, you know, it's 1500 reviews. Now the books, I don't know, it's 130,000 copies. And, you know, nobody has sort of come out of the woodwork and just like tried to, you know, you know, just attack it. Hmm. What, so that, that is a surprise again, because I initially put it on, on the internet thinking that no, nobody's going to publish this. And again, the story of how it actually became a book is, you know, I'm sure we don't have time for that, but I mean, eventually it did. Um, but that has been a surprise. I, I keep waiting for the assault. And now I think that the assault is going to come in a different form than I ever would have thought. I mean, I, I, what I initially thought was that people would just defend their turf. 
like all these denominations would just defend their turf. But it's been really encouraging to see that that people in ministry and people who are in these churches who are serious about their faith and about scripture, they see what I'm trying to do is I'm not endorsing any any group and I'm not shooting at any group. It's like let, let's just try to focus on on again the what we call in academia the meta narrative, just the story of scripture and how that story has you know, both the, the supernatural narrative and the human narrative, and they in, they're designed to intersect. One thing plays off the other. You know, one thing borrows vocabulary from the other. I mean, this is all intentional. You know, there's an intelligence about it, and it, and it really boils down to something as simple as God wants a family. He had a family before he created humans. He decided he wanted a different kind of family, one that was more limited and embodiment, but, you know, he, he went... He wanted this whole thing, and he wanted to come to Earth. They can't go to him. He wants to come to Earth, be with these new creatures, these new people who he has made like him. And and he wants his presence and his first family to to be with this new family. And so humans are fit for sacred space right out of the box. You know, we're, we God wants us to be in the family. It should be the most natural thing in the world, you know, to be in, in sacred space with our Father and our Creator. And, and that doesn't work out. And then when, when, when you know, when we have rebellion, you know, a simple, a simple thing like God prefers to redeem humanity, but he rejects the first rebel. There is no redemption there. Well, that sets off a rivalry. You know, I mean, there the, are the other members of the heavenly host are paying attention to that. You know, and, you know, you get the Psalm 8 kind of feel like, you know, we're less than the Elohim, but look, look, look how, at how God values us. You know, the whole thing of reversing the, all the curses is to become a man, not become one of them, but become a man. You know, I mean, you have all these big story elements, these big archetypal things. And, and people, you know, across the board have, have realized that, you know, I'm, I'm directing attention to the story. And the Bible Project guys do the same thing. I didn't know who they were. I mean, I knew who Tim, you know, we, Tim and I passed each other in the hall a few times. You know, I don't know if, you know, if you've heard Tim's story, that my dissertation defense was the first one he ever sat in on. He started the program when I was finishing it. And to quote him, it scared him to death. (laughs) But but I mean, I knew peripherally who I didn't know his story. I don't know what these guys are doing this, but it just sort of happens. And and if you look at 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 this kind of stuff, it's like, look. Are you serious about the gospel? Do you have that straight? That's 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 the hill I'm dying on right now. I mean, if, if I think that, that what you're, you're talking about muddies the water, well, then I'll say something, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I'm not going to interject myself in your denominational life. I will talk about the gospel. I will talk about what it is and what it isn't. And I'm going to let you do the math. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I'm here to, to have you think about what you believe and, and then answer a simple question. Can I, can I trace that back in the text? Can the text sustain that or not? That's what I care about. So, you know, this, this is what I'm angling for. I want, I want people to rediscover the text. You know, your traditions aren't evil and sinister. You know, they didn't come out of the Illuminati or something like, you know, all this ridiculous stuff you see on the Internet. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, look, they just are what they are. Realize, you know, they're, this is, you know, how, how history works its way out. And there are reasons why we land here and not over there. But at the end of the day, can the biblical text sustain this thing, 
that you believe and that you're being taught. Can it or not? And I'm, and I'm trying to give you enough of the tools and the ammunition to help you make a good assessment of that. And then I'm situating that thing, that, that belief item we're talking about, in a larger narrative, in a superstructure, where, where the human world and the supernatural world, God's world, frequently, intentionally intersect. Because this is the way, this is what God wanted at the beginning, and it's what he's going to get at the end. Okay, he's going to work the plan. There is no plan B. You know, we're going to have a new Eden. We're going to have the, the, the presence of God and, and the host with him, with us, on a new earth. I mean, th this is, God is not going to lose. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to lose this. It, it's just, you know, we, we, the story of Scripture is, is this is what he wants, and this is how he's been always at work trying to get it back. He's big enough to create human images and get, uh, enable them to make a free decision, you know, an uncoerced decision, a not, a not pre-programmed decision. He's big enough to do that. And it's actually essential, you know, to have that ability. Because if we didn't have that ability, we wouldn't be like him, would we? Because he isn't a robot. I mean, it, they're just simple things like this that I want people to, to grasp, these big picture things, these archetypal themes. Because mm -hmm. if they do, again, my... You know, I'm going to go out and live here like I, I do in Unseen Realm and say, look, if you have this kind of framework in your head, and if you can read scripture through ancient eyes, a lot of the Bible will start to make sense. Like, like it'll, it has its own logic to it. It has its own interconnectivity. You know, it, it just depends how you frame, you know, the, the ideas. And they're all there for a reason. They all contribute something to the story. Uh, nothing is random. It's not just, you know, junk DNA in the text. Okay. I mean, there, it, it all has a role to play. And we, we start by just knowing the story. And, and then we ask, okay, well, how does this fit into the story? What, what role does this weird stuff in Leviticus about nocturnal emissions play? You know, yeah. again, all these things have their own logic. In that case, it's, it's, that's a life force, just like blood. Okay, ancient people are smart enough to know, hey, you know, if I cut myself and I lose enough of this red stuff, I'm going to die. You know, that must have something to do with why I'm alive. It's a life force. And the same thing for the semen. I think that's how we get babies. We get life out of that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And so if you lose the life force, you're less than whole. Okay, and God will not tolerate you being in his sacred space. It's not a moral sin. It's just a life thing. It's, it's here to illustrate the difference between him and you. God is associated with life and completeness and wholeness. And so when you lose some of the life force, you're incomplete. That speaks of death or you know, the less than optimal life that, that the life giver has given. You know, again, you, you, you just get these big ideas that, the, the, the stuff is weird. I mean, the ancient world is not our world, but it has its own internal logic. They have reasons for thinking what they're thinking and doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying. And so if we can latch on to that, I think we will grow to appreciate the intelligence and the coherence of Scripture and hence the things we believe that derive from Scripture a whole lot more. 
I've found over the years I've become less, I guess, less tolerant. I'm not sure exactly the way to phrase this, but maybe less tolerant of of scriptural ideas that don't seem to match up in any way with reality. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like things that require you to say, okay, God is, is this particular way and he interacts with people in this particular way, but it's, but there's no, absolutely no, uh, interpersonal or human to human interaction that's ever like he, he interacts with, he does things that are, that are just make completely no sense to us. Like I'm, I guess reason I'm saying that is I was, it's funny that I started reading unseen realm when I, when I started reading it, Matt, Matt turned me onto the book. And then at that moment I had been reading, uh, C.S. Lewis out of the Silent Planet series to mm-hmm. my to my ten year old daughter, and uh, we were reading. Um, we were just at the end of the first book and going into the second book when I started reading Unseen Realm, and I started thinking. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the work, but uh, I started thinking. You know, C.S. Lewis saw saw a lot of this. What he mm-hmm. saw as myth, as a sort of Christian uh, modern Christian myth. Um, actually matches up with a lot of the things that you're that that you're expressing as mm-hmm. true about the Old Testament that we didn't know before and that actually makes it strong it makes the truth of it seem stronger to me than if it just than if your work had just sort of existed in an academic mm-hmm. sense and and not had any applicability to like to anything that I that I that I am comfortable with in in the world I know, um, yeah, I know I, that may, that may be a little awkwardly stated, but it, no, but it I, just I know what you mean. Fit. You know, the the original manuscript was entitled "The Myth That Is True." Oh um, wow! Okay. You know, and I'm saving that. I mean, I stole that from I guess Tolkien or Lewis or maybe both of them. Um, did you get that editorialized away? Did it? Yes. Did, yes. Okay. Has the word "myth" in the title. And okay. so I, I lost that battle, but I, I understood the, I understood the logic of it, you know, for the, for the reader. So I, I gave that up, but I, I still own the URL. Yeah. You know, Dave has reminded me before, and this is maybe something I was uh, pointing to when I was trying to mention it earlier and I did a bad uh, job doing it, but Dave has always reminded me in the apologetic world, we like to set our minds in the realm of the courtroom instead mm-hmm. of the realm of Eden or the realm of the garden. Um, you know, and, and I feel like that's what's going on in your book as well, is that you're bringing us back to the whole story really is recapturing what we had at the very first couple of chapters, which is my relationship, my knowledge, my wisdom yeah. is, is in the garden. It is not in a. You think about apologetics is driven by the courthouse image, which to me is all data point driven. Defend yeah. you defend your point, they defend their point. When the reality is, it's in fellowship in the real church of believers, which is supposed to remind us of we are headed back towards the temple in the garden. Yeah, does that yeah. make sense? It it does because you know it. I tend to be pretty pretty simple. Um, you know, one, one of the things that, that I had to come to grips with was, um, am I, is it okay if I don't know how everything works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and like, let's just use like the Genesis 6 passage, okay? If indeed we're supposed to read that as cohabitation language, which is the, the plain, you know, the, the most sort of face value reading of, of the text, you know, even though there's there's a mythic way to approach it that that um, would view the language euphemistically name of the sons of God. So there, there's two trajectories there. Just assume this cohabitation language. You know, and people ask, well, how does that work? And I'm very content to say, I have no idea. I'm not a deity, so I can't tell you. And, you know, I, I have the same impasse there if you ask me, how does the incarnation work? Well, I don't know. How does the hypostatic union of, you know, of Jesus work? I don't know. How's the Trinity work? Beats me. How's the resurrection work? Got me. You know, <laughs> right. It's like it would, we have to realize that these core ideas, again, the, the bucket A ideas, that somehow we think that that we're being we deserve more respect from the unbeliever for, for that bucket or from the unbelieving academic. He, you know, we that deserves more respect. Well, the reality is that none of the things we believe, these core doctrines, are provable through a purely naturalistic, materialistic worldview. None of them are. I mean, the concept of sin and salvation, none of it is, is applicable to the assessment, the validation of a scientific materialistic worldview. Zero. Yeah. And, and so... What what it what that means is that that some of the stuff that we feel less comfortable with, we have to awaken to the fact that you know a lot of this other stuff really derives from the fundamental proposition that really can be defended in terms of coherence, but not science, but coherence, and that is there is a God, okay, and and if there's a God and it's the God that the Bible describes, is He capable of creating beings? that can have certain abilities, whether we understand them or not. Is, is he capable? And if, and if you say he's not, upon what basis is he incapable of doing that? I mean, th these, are, these are the kind of truth propositions that can be um, talked about and assessed for coherence, but none of it you know, derives from a scientific you know, materialistic worldview. It's just, it's just totally different. And so I, I think I understand the, the, that there's these two buckets, you know, operating in lots of Christian heads. But but the buckets to me mean less and less mm -hmm. as time goes on. There's really one bucket. And that is, is there a God or not? Does that have greater explanatory power or is the reverse? You know, does that have greater explanatory power? And I think that proposition has been quite capably defended. You know, again, you, you can't subject it to the scientific method, but you can subject it subjected to good thinking, to reason and logic and coherence. And that has been well defended for millennia, even by people who don't, you know, want to want to assign any any, you know, salvific, you know, belief in it. Okay. Just on the table, the proposition can be defended well. And if that's the case, then these other things are lesser propositions. They're derivative. So you know, yeah. let, let's just live in that world. So don't don't give me your materialistic question of how this works. You know, there's lots of things that, that, you know, I don't, not only don't I know how it works, but, but it can't be, they can't be tested by your methodology. 
So let, yeah. let's just, you know, come to grips with that. If, yeah, I used to be, af- I used to be afraid to say those, to say, yeah. I, I don't know. And, but now, you know, I've talked to so many people who are, who almost, who really just had shipwrecks of faith in mm-hmm. their life because of what you might call, um, I know it allism within yeah. certain denominations. And, um, I, I find that people see it as refreshing. And I think there's going to be at some, uh, some point within, you know, our culture that we live in today where that same revolt is going to take place against sort of the deification of science that's happened. Mm -hmm. And people are going to get tired of the, you know, the idea that everything can be known to the nth degree. And by the way, I'm the one who knows it. Right. I I think it's already happening, you know, and I'll, here, here's my exhibit a evidence. It's two words, ancient aliens. (laughs) How in the world has this, ridiculous show how did it how is it in its 13th season oh is it still on the air i didn't even know they're still cranking them out and (laughs) and we know why they crank them out it's it's called advertising revenue okay it's that guy's hair yeah (laughs) Yeah, giorgio's hair yeah but but on on a more serious level the reason why it has such a huge audience is because it offers people a middle ground between the Judeo-Christian explanation of human origins that they don't want. They don't, they don't want the Bible stuff, you know, because, you know, either for what they think is a good reason or a really stupid reason, they don't want it. But they are also dissatisfied with a scientific materialistic approach that says exactly what you just articulated. We know everything. There's nothing more to discover. Yeah. There are a lot of people who just aren't buying either end of that pole. Mm. And so this gives them a middle worldview that that preserves mystery and transcendence and, you know, gives them, you know, the the intellectual satisfaction, you know, in in their heads of, of knowing, you know, quote unquote, knowing how we got here and why we might be important. In other words, it, it pushes all the right theological buttons for them. But of course there's, you know, they don't need to be accountable. You know, that this is why they don't want the Judeo-Christian worldview because there's accountability there. I mean, you have to, you have to make decisions. You have to decide, you know, am I, am I going to you know, be accountable to this God or not? You know, and what does that mean for me? Yeah. You know, how does that affect my behavior? And, you know, the, in other words, this, this hunger for autonomy that, that is part of the human condition. This yeah. hunger to throw off authority, you know, the, this this worldview doesn't require any of that, but it, it gives them the 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 things that, that the human heart also needs, and that is transcendence and mystery, something bigger than themselves to believe in. Um, yeah. And it, it even gives them an eschatology. If you, the, the further down, I mean, I, I've lived in the fringe world for twenty years. I mean, this is I know what the alternative religion here is. Um, you know, it even has its own eschatology, its own glorification, you know, its own, its own ultimate destiny for the human race. Wow. Uh, it, it does all the things that the Judeo-Christian worldview do, do, does, and the scientific materialistic worldview doesn't do without any accountability. Wow. Uh, that's, that's such an interesting take on that. I mean, yeah. yeah. So we want to... We want to be good stewards of your time, Dr. Heiser. Uh, this shows you that, I mean, we're all kind of, I mean, we're resonating with you 
and you have so many other things and so many other books to mention. You have a new book called Demons. That's uh, uh, I know that I don't. Is it coming out yet? Are we yeah, there de- yet? Demons shipped for two or three weeks ago, so it is out. Oh, it, okay. is out. it is real. <laughs> it is real, and you have the Naked Bible Podcast, which I, I'm just a big fan of now. Uh, you have a YouTube channel that will post uh, online, and of course, you have the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry, yeah. which is schooltheology.com that we're going to put. And you have a homepage, drmsh.com, and we ask our our listeners I, to go and check you out there too. I'm assuming that the the YouTube channel you refer to is the Fringe Pop channel. Fringe Pop three two one, yeah. yeah. You know, for the sake of your listeners, again, Fringe Pop, we're about 100 videos in. It is, you know, we hope it's it's a a non-confrontational way to produce not an overtly, in most cases, Christian response to crazy stuff that you're going to see on the History Channel or the Internet, but that's what it is. Um, so just trying to get people who, they, they, they this is... This is their church. The internet is their church. Okay. Wow. <laughs> channels their church. You know, that that this is where they get their their knowledge from. And to try to draw them into watching a video that would suggest, well, maybe maybe you should think about this a little bit better. You know, maybe maybe you know, should think about primary sources, and the Bible's one of those. And you know, let, let's not rape and pillage the primary text and make them say things they don't. And, you know, I mean, just simple things like this that, you know, we hope will get people who would never read a Christian book. They would never, you know, listen to an apologetics podcast, but they might, you know, listen to Fringe Pop. They might get drawn into the discussion. You know, so I, I, I try to make these I try to have multiple entry points. This is why we did the little book, you know, The World Turned Upside Down, Finding the Gospel and Stranger Things. I love the show, mm. but it, it's an entry point. It's all it is, you know, to get people to think theologically and, and, and think well about what they're, they're watching, you know, what they're, what they're paying attention to. And, and, and I'm one of those who thinks that, and, and you know, and I, of course I'll end with this, I, I actually think what you're doing and what the Bible Project are doing, I hope what we're doing at Tactical Faith is providing people um, uh, not just an entry point into the bigger story. And with all these questions that are going on that we're trying to tackle, especially with race at the moment, I actually think speaking the way that you do is actually a better way to deal with these issues because you do come to the table with a bigger story. Uh, and we can speak in ways, even to our fellow Christians, that not might, that might not think the way we do, uh, on certain issues, but it's a fantastic way to bring our church together because we're all on the same page on the same story. And I'll use your language. We all can see the mosaic, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we can, we can piddle over the tiles, but we have the mosaic in front of us and that's Jesus. And he sits on the throne yeah. and we, and we are so thankful for your work. And I hope, I know you're busy, uh, but we'll be promoting you in the, in the background and maybe we can do things in the future together. But uh, yeah. I'm a bit, I'd love to have you back on because I've got I, I got I'm like game. twenty I got like twenty five questions that I've written out here that I, I didn't even do. One of them. <laughs> and and I would I would I, I'm going to pursue your your school your school that you have the Awakening School. I, there's things here that I think that we could do together, uh, but we're going to be big fans in the background promoting your work. And uh, thank you so much for spending your time because I know it's busy. 
Well, uh, you know, thank you for having me. I and mean, you know, you guys, you want to do it again? Just let me know, and just just generally, you know, stay in touch. Because I, you know, I look for people like you guys who are just doing things. I, I, I love people who do things in ministry without anyone's permission. Yeah, <laughs> that that just floats my boat right there. So you know, it, and, and to move beyond the way these things get talked about, I think is really important in, in a postmodern, really, and we're headed into a post-Christian culture. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's really important.